listening to Fox Sports Radio. Radio. Another takeaway macro in the NCAA tournament is west of the Mississippi. Seven of the eight teams west of the Mississippi. Now, L.A., Vegas, I feel pretty good about that, I guess. But um, obviously part of that's the Pac-12 and and how well they've played. Any thoughts on the geographic end? And, And you think about the SEC, the ACC, you know, Duke, Kentucky, down, down years in this pandemic year, and it seems like that the uh, opportunity has been taken up by the teams on the West. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know what the travel implications are for this tournament. Meaning, I, I, I I'm curious whether or not teams being able to travel to just one location and knowing where they're going to go every single weekend as we do this tournament, if, if that's helping these teams or if maybe it's affecting more teams because maybe these West Coast teams... Well, which, go, which teams would it, would it help? Maybe I'm just thinking the teams in the tournament who are able to focus in without having to worry about where we're traveling, um, you know, us getting there. Maybe these LA teams, these teams in California are happy to get out of the state you know just happy to get out and go somewhere what are you saying about your stay jonas well i'm saying it's been shut down for a little while now you know (laughs) it's starting to open up but here's my here's my question though it seems like that that any team whatever the benefits of the uh you know quasi bob or the one location it seems like all teams would share that equally yeah i i could see one thing that i thought of when you were talking and here's the thing this isn't science this is about trying to figure out what a great gambler does is he finds scenarios, influences, factors that aren't obvious, right? And one thing I would say is this. If you look at a team like the Seattle Seahawks, way up there on the left top of the map, United States, you look at their travel miles, they're always much bigger than, you know, you don't realize it takes, or at least I don't, to even from San Francisco up to Seattle, up you know, it's a ways up there, and it's like to get like obviously there's the stories about Seattle to Miami, and it takes you know seven hours or whatever. Maybe the West Coast teams that intrinsically are going to have those travel disadvantages, especially when they turn it around between rounds, and and it's like they play the two games, then they typically go home, right, and then they go to the yeah. next place. Boy, it, maybe that's a little part of it is that the, the amount of traveling the West Coast teams typically do depresses their results, and it's not a concern this year because they're not doing the traveling. Yeah, and I've also wondered how many people actually knew enough about Pac-12 basketball to properly seed them because as we're watching these teams... But why, but look, why wouldn't that be the case every year? I, I, that's the thing. I, I'm trying to come up with a reason why the Pac-12 is so good right now and a conference like the Big Ten isn't outside of Michigan. Yeah, and it's It could bizarre. be like Fezzik and I had our heads up on and I had Michigan. It could be just <laughs> 10 games or 10 games. Yeah. Right? And things happen in 10 games. Yeah. And uh, I would say this. I believe the Pac-12 doing well has more merit to it than the Big Ten doing poorly. Because looking at Michigan, a team that didn't even win the Big Ten, yeah. they could be as good as anyone. In the, I mean, they, they certainly could. In fact, I'm not sure they're not the second-best team. Right? So, at least my opinion. Gonzaga yeah. is clearly the best. Yeah. So... If Michigan doesn't even win the Big Ten, but they are so good, I don't think it was the Big Ten was so bad. I think Illinois ran into a Loyola team that was just really playing well that day. And we don't know if the coach getting job offers, you know, whatever it is that made them underperform 
this weekend, it, it strikes me that in general, the Pac-12, there's enough of these teams doing well, you can say, because remember, when you lose, you're done. Yeah. That's one loss. When you win a third game, now you've won three. If you actually just look at the Pac-12, the over-under for wins, the entire tournament was three and a half for them. And they've got 13 wins so far with three teams remaining. So they've, ex- I mean, they're 10 over the number of wins expected. To me, that Pac 12 up arrow is bigger, bolder, redder than the down arrow for the Big Ten, in my opinion. Thoughts? I totally agree. Um, and, and we've talked about this in the tournament. It could take, you could have a bad four minute stretch in the second half and it's over. I mean, you, you get one shot at this, it's one take. So the fact that the Pac 12 has had one take and gotten it right 13 times, I think says more about what their conference has done than it does the Big Ten and, and their failures. Last thing about our, our look back, at least initially, Oregon State. This is a paradox. We're having paradoxes today. Do you look at the season or do you look at the recent run? Because for the season, Oregon State, not all that impressive. In fact, my understanding is they wouldn't have made the tournament if they didn't win their conference tournament. That's right, McKenzie. Oregon State won the conference tournament? That's right, and they needed to win that Pac-12. That's what I thought. Okay. So, on one hand, a team here... If it doesn't win its tournament, it could have had zero wins in the regular season and still won the tournament and got in. So it was like that much of a long shot. But now let's look at their last six games. Last six games for Oregon State, they were an underdog in every game. If you had taken $1, Jonas, and bet on Oregon State to win the first game, then you let it ride. Next game, next game, next game. Six straight games, your $1 would be over $3,000 right now. Wow. So wow. if you had bet a hundred to start, it'd be three hundred thousand dollars from your hundred dollar bill, <laughs> beating uh, UCLA, Oregon, Colorado, Tennessee, Oklahoma State, Loyola. Right out of Vegas! Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at six p.m. Eastern, three p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. What's up, everyone? It's me, three-time NFL All-Pro Sean Marion, and I have a new sports podcast called the Lights Out Podcast with Sean Marion. This podcast is special to me as I get a chance to talk to some of the best who've ever done it on the field or the track. So whether it's talking to a Super Bowl champion or a NASCAR Cup Series champion, the Lights Out Podcast will bring it to you the only way I know how to. I'm giving you the best insight from the best who's ever done it. Listen to Lights Out with Sean Merriman on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcast. So, RJ, following the big trade on Friday in which the 49ers moved up to number three in the NFL draft, the discussion has come become not just with San Francisco and what they do with Jimmy Garoppolo, but elsewhere at the top of the draft with quarterback situations involving every team. And there was a pro day, Zach Wilson getting a standing ovation. Yeah. What was your impression, Zach? It just, here's what I always find fascinating and a little bit concerning. For the Jets, I don't care about the Jets, but you know what I'm saying, is the idea that Zach Wilson would have been drafted where a year ago? Yeah, that's a good Maybe, point. Maybe, I don't know. I, yeah, not. I don't think he's a first-rounder. Uh, yeah, well, I think almost for sure. Mackenzie, see if you can just see what the speculation was. And, you know, take a minute maybe, but... 
my thought is not much at all, right? Maybe undrafted, I guess. We'll see. But now a year later, against very questionable competition, yeah. wasn't BYU's fault. And to be candid, them taking that Coastal Carolina game was a great thing to me. On, on like three days' notice, they traveled. It was courageous. It really was. You just don't see teams do that. So I love that. And Coastal Carolina is a good team. But if you can go from if it's a year ago, you're not pay, you know you're you're not going to be drafted highly. Now you're the number two pick behind. Let's be candid, the best prospect in people's minds since Andrew Luck, mm-hmm. who was the best prospect since John Elway. So it's like you could make the case this is like the third best prospect, Trevor Lawrence, in the last thirty years. And I don't think you'd be all that. I mean, you know, it'd be close. And then the next guy, a guy the Jets are effectively turning down the deal that San Francisco gave to Miami. You know that if San Fran could have had the second pick, they would have wanted it. Now, I know the reports came down that, oh, they didn't even talk to the Jets. Which brings up your brilliant point from last week. One of the reasons San Fran, Jonas, your point was... One of the reasons maybe that San Fran made a trade is because they have friends in the Jets organization. You know, the former D.C. there is the head coach, Salah, is it was a situation that uh, it feels like they knew who they were going to have available to them at three or how else do you even make the trade and then the fact that the Jets didn't even get approached means effectively they did, but they got rebuffed. And it's like, no. And then it's like, well, who are you going to pick? And then it allowed them to go to Miami. But the Jets don't want to look like that they were all talking about a trade. They want to look like they're strong on Zach Wilson. If they're going to take Zach Wilson, they want to look like they've been behind him the whole time. I guess to me, and we're looking at PFFs, Last year, August of 2020, they had a mock draft for this year, and Zach Wilson was not in the first round. Yeah. So we'll see if we find out where he would have been. But So the guy was in the first round, played a bunch of games against weak competition, and now he's the second pick in the draft. That concerns me a little bit. Yeah, and there was um, there were similar concerns about Joe Burrow, but here's the difference between Burrow and Zach Wilson. So Burrow's completion percentages and all his numbers shot through the roof in one of the great college football seasons, maybe the best in the history of college football at the quarterback position. Against and, great competition. Yeah, and that's the difference. He was doing it against the SEC. You've got Zach Wilson, who was doing it against teams in a weird season that aren't even close to SEC quality teams and it just feels like you know and and people pointed it out they show Zach Wilson making this cross body throw in his pro day and then somebody pulled up tape Sam Darnold did the exact same throw but he did it in an NFL game and I just wonder how much of an upgrade Zach Wilson really is over Sam Darnold because the hype is through the roof right now well that is exactly on get up today they put it on a screen they said Okay, think about effectively if they had taken the 49ers off. If the Jets said, we'll take that, right? It would have been, you could have Sam Darnold, the number 12 pick. Would, you know, Let's assume that they weren't going to trade up with Philly. All right? And then you were going to have another number one, another number one the next two years, yeah. and a number three this year, Sam Darnold, or Zach Wilson. Like That, that effectively yeah. is the decision, yeah. right? And... 
Now, they still have Sam Darnold, and they'll probably trade him for a number two. So, okay, Zach Wilson in a number two, or Sam Darnold, number 12, and then now number one, number one, and a number three this year. It's a hell of a commitment. Yeah. But, but I don't think you can if, – if you're tra- changing coaches, remember now, this is, the, this is two coaches for Sam Darnold. Right, I mean, who I'm having a mental ball. Who was the Jets coach Sam Darnold's rookie year? Ooh. Todd Bowles. Yeah, was, was it, it Bowles Todd, still? Was, yeah, was it Bowles or was Adam Gase? No, yeah, you're right. It was Todd Bowles. Todd yeah, because Gase was, was two years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So let, let's be honest now. Bowles, who looks like a pretty good coach now, is a DC. He couldn't do anything with him, right? Yeah. I mean, nothing. Yeah. He got fired with him. Yeah. So now you got the guy that you hired right off of Miami. Everyone liked him. That's why they hire. Coaches don't get hired the year they get fired, typically, especially if they don't have a great pedigree. And they said, nope, this guy's so good. We're going to change the rules and, you know, and go against convention. And then he fails there. And I know that it's unfair with Sam Darnold, not to mention that he had mono. <laughs> And, I mean, come on. And at some point, I think if you're a third regime, do you really want to get a stink on you? That, that uh, I, Listen, I got no problem. What I would do, if, first of all, they seem to really like Zach Wilson. Yeah. I would do a similar thing to what I think the 49ers are going to do, and it's a good transition. When you have a, a legacy quarterback that you know has got talent but just hasn't put it together yet, like Jimmy G. And you could say put it together the one year, but okay. Why not let them both stay in camp? Why not? I mean, now, if you got a guy like Zach Wilson that you're so high on, maybe Sam Darnold's just a distraction in camp. But I, I don't care. I mean, to me, remember when, when um, Russell Wilson got drafted, Seattle brought in, was Matt it Matt Flynn. Flynn? Yeah, Matt Flynn. And it was, exp- I mean, remember, Wilson was a third round pick. It was just another dart at the dartboard. And the fact that he became a franchise quarterback, why not let Sam Darnold stay and see what happens? I got no problem with that, but the guy hasn't produced yet. My name is Casper. And we can act like he has, but he hasn't. And, and last thing for me, Jonas, on this, it goes to show you, it's no one doubts Sam Darnold's physical tools. We just don't understand what it is. What confluence of qualities and traits lead to a good NFL quarterback? Tom Brady went number 199. There's no science to this. We know what you need. We just don't know all that you need. We know if you lack height, you can't do it. If you're five foot five, you can't do it. If you got a weak arm, you can't do it. If you're a learning disabled, you can't do it. There's all these mental, physical tools you need. But then we still don't. Every quarterback draft in the first round has all those. The question then becomes, then what? And that's the secret sauce. Yeah, and I also, to your point on the, if you bring in a quarterback and you keep Sam Darnold on the roster, a la if you keep Jimmy Garoppolo on the roster, depending on who San Francisco goes at number three, if you've got a quarterback who is so afraid of competition that he melts down, that's probably not the guy for you because we saw that with Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz yeah. melted down. Before Carson Wentz, Sam Bradford was upset that they drafted uh, Carson Wentz and they ended up trading him. So I, I don't I don't look at this as 
you know, if the Jets take Zach Wilson, Sam Darnold's automatically gone. Same, similar with San Francisco, if whatever quarterback they take, whether it's Mac Jones or Fields or Trey Lance, I don't think it's an automatic that Jimmy Garoppolo gets traded. They traded for Garoppolo and they sat him five games when they got him. Right out of Vegas! Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. I like that Sims is willing to have a contrary opinion. I really, I hate consensus thinking. Because if you agree with me all the time and you're on my team, you're irrelevant, right? It's like, I know what he's going to say, what I say. It, I want another you know, perspective. Sims is able to do that, right? And yes. it's fascinating how he's not backing down. Where he's saying his Zach Wilson's pro day was so much better than Trevor Lawrence. I'm a Trevor Lawrence skeptic, right? So I might be wrong. And serious people I respect, guys like Mike Lombardi, they think Trevor Lawrence is as good as a prospect as they've seen. So I trust it. I just look at, well, I kind of trust it. I just look at the reality Trevor Wilson, or check that, Trevor Lawrence. Has underperformed against good teams, and when you're, I think there's only been four or five games his entire career. He wasn't a double-digit favor. So when you're, and it's funny, we were looking at it, and this will be my last point on the quarterbacks, is when we looked at Zach Wilson. What's the concern? Strength of schedule, right? Competition. Yep. yep. But if you actually look, BYU was favored this year by less average points than Clemson was favored this year. Now, think about what that means. It means that relative to the teams, Trevor Lawrence and Clemson was better than their competition. Now, the raw competition was better that, that, that Clemson played, meaning BYU wasn't as good as Clemson. So the difference is that, yeah, the players were better that were going against Trevor Lawrence, but the distance was more for Clemson. Well, what does that mean to me? It means that a quarterback, it's not exactly always who the quarterback's playing. It's how the players on the team, his team, do against the other team. So if the teams, if a guy beats a block or something and sacks him, hey, he's down. He doesn't complete the pass. And in general, Clemson had a bigger edge over the competition. Now, occasionally, how good the players are might be, oh, that cornerback can close on it or whatever. So I'm not saying it does. both don't matter, but in general, Trevor Lawrence had more of an edge with his team over the opponents than Zach Wilson did. I think that's noteworthy. Right out of Vegas! Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live.